a Town Square Media of Southeast Wyoming podcast. AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. I'm expecting a call here from a, a doctor in Gillette who is going to speak about his opposition to expansion of the Medicaid program. A, uh, the House Rev- or the uh, Legislative Revenue Committee this week uh, voted 9 to 5 uh, to once again bring forward a Medicaid expansion bill. Uh, we had one that failed in the last legislative session. Now, from what I've heard, this bill may come forward in a special session in July if we have one. If not, next legislative session. Uh, we think we're going to have a special session in July. That just hasn't been formed. Announced. In any case, um, I haven't heard from my scheduled guests, so at this point, I'm going to play a pre-recorded program from last week we did with the American Association of Retired Persons on Scams. If the doctor calls, we'll get him on the air and do that interview. If not, coming up at 11:33, I have Josh Hannes from the Wyoming Hospital Association on why that organization supports Medicaid expansion. So. Hopefully we'll hear from our scheduled guest. If not, uh, this is a pre-recorded interview from last week that I thought was pretty interesting on scams. Tom Laycock, Associate State Director for the American Association of Retired Persons. Good morning, Tom. Well, hello, Doug. Thanks for having me. Now, the topic this week is fraud. I'm going to bring up a fraud that I've been targeted with here recently because I know I'm not the only one. Somebody keeps calling my cell phone and claim, claiming they're from the, quote, processing center and that I owe back taxes. I don't owe back taxes, and I know that the IRS uh, doesn't call you, and when they do call you, if they did, they wouldn't call themselves the processing center. I will say, however, whoever's perpetrating this fraud sounds very convincing. Is this one you've heard of? This is. So this is otherwise known as the imposter scam. Um, so we see a lot of this, everything from IRS to tra- uh, Treasury agents and even local police. And, you know, I mean, one thing that we, we tell people again and again is these folks are, will not call you uh, with something like this. But this is, this is an oldie but a goodie. Um, and, in fact, the IRS is, uh, is, is kind of tired of it themselves. And so they're asking for anyone that gets this particular scam to call them. And I'll give you the number that they'd like to, to have you call them. Okay. 800-366-4484. Or you can go to TIGTA.gov to report it because, frankly, they're sick of it, too. <laughs> so, now, Tom, one, inter- one interesting thing with this scam, I happened to post about it on my Facebook page, and one of my Facebook friends said, hey, they just called me, too. Is there some way they could have tracked our numbers to get on this list because we're Facebook friends or anything of that nature, or do we know? So we're not quite sure if, if that's the case. That, that's, that's certainly, a, I suppose, a possibility. But one thing that we've, we've talked uh, at length about with, with folks is the fact that in, in the past we've seen, um, we've seen a number of, you know, what, the, what folks will do is they will go to a legitimate um, call center mm-hmm. and uh, just have that call center start doing phone numbers. And as soon as they get working phone numbers, um, that's those are the, the ones that those working phone numbers are sold. I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> as soon as as soon as they get working phone numbers, then they sell those working phone numbers. Um, and, and they're you know they don't necessarily know who they're sending them to. 
Um, but it's certainly, you know, it's something that uh, the, they can send to, to folks who are trying to pull the scam. People who are, you know, uh, some legitimate people as well as those who might be a little bit less. But they do pick up a set number of dollars uh, per working phone number that they get. And so I get, I'll get a number of the calls where people call and it's a, from a number that you may know or may not know. And they call that spoofing where they right. use someone else's phone number um, that, to make it look more legitimate. And uh, I'll get the call, and, and when you pick up, you hear nothing on the other side. And mm-hmm. so one thing that we've actually done in the past, we had someone at AARP put together a, a news story on this for us, and it's actually worked pretty well for me to knock down the number of scam calls that I get. But pick up and don't say anything. Right. So pick it, you know, and, and you'll get the beep beep at the end, because what happens in a lot of cases, if it goes to voicemail, that comes up as a working number. Uh-huh. And so that will be, you know, tracked off to somebody else. Um, you know, that'll be tracked off to somebody else as they're selling those numbers. So just pick up. If it's somebody who's legitimate, they'll say hello. Um, but, you know, in a lot of cases, these tend to be sort of voice-activated robodials. And I think you bring up an important point that I'm not sure everybody's aware of, although I think most folks are at this point, and that is just because it says it's a Cheyenne number or a Wyoming number, that doesn't mean it is. Absolutely, absolutely. That's the beauty of the spoof is a long time ago, uh, scammers figured out that folks are more likely to pick up if they feel like it's a Wyoming number, a Cheyenne number, someone that they know. In fact, uh, a couple months ago, I got spoofed for my own number. I've, I've heard of people doing or hearing that, yes. Yeah, um, and, and, I'm, and, and I'm a jerk. Apparently, I'm, <laughs> apparently I'm scamming myself. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's kind of the, the next step uh, with those phone calls. One time in the not-too-distant past, it was a Cheyenne number. I picked up the number, and I thought, well, it could be legit. So I called the guy back. He goes, I don't know. Somebody's using my number. So, I mean, they can use an active phone number. As you said, they can use an active phone number. I don't know how this all works, but uh, it's it's a new facet to this that's something, uh, that's something people do need to be aware of. Well, and, you know, you had mentioned um, the, the imposter scam, the IRS processing center calling you mm-hmm. uh, or you know I, I get a lot of them for student loans that I haven't had for 20 years mm-hmm. uh, and I think the one thing we ask people is if you really if you think it could be legitimate hang up find a legitimate phone number for them in the phone book or online and call that number uh-huh. because if it's legitimate they'll get you to the right person absolutely so never be af- never be afraid to, to hang up and, and call a legitimate number that you can confirm is in fact you know in this case the IRS now, in the past, and these scams were not quite as well executed, but I've gotten what sounded like a recording, from again, from the IRS. And just to clarify, they don't call you by phone. They mail you stuff, but not everybody knows that. I got a recorded uh, recording that sounded fairly fairly serious and fairly believable. Now, when I, just, to, just to mess around with them, I called the number. It was some foreigners. I could barely understand what they were saying. That was not one of the more well-executed scams, but this latest one... I've got to give the, the, the gal credit who, who uh, left him, and she left a message on my phone, did it a couple times, and she sounded really believable. She was obviously a native English speaker. She sounded friendly, professional, so it, uh, it, it, it takes some awareness on your part, and, and, you know, you've got to be very careful with this because you can get fooled if you're not careful. Absolutely correct, especially, you know, scammers have, they've, it's a much more... Uh, in-depth process than just calling someone and hoping to get their money. Uh-huh. I mean, there's there's really a hope that uh, they try to 
appeal to your emotional side. And one thing we tell folks is if someone's demanding action quickly, um, that's that's a concern. That's a sign. If someone's saying, I need a credit card now, um, you know, take a step back because they're trying to get you emotional. They're trying to get you out of your out of that place where the frontal lobe is working and, and you know, really working through the logic of whether or not this is legitimate and, and getting you to a place that's that's very emotional. Uh-huh. Um, and, and the biggest one that, that we see over the last couple of years is that social security imposter scam. I've gotten that call too. And I, I haven't even collected social security, but they I, they either don't know that or don't care. I think it's the second. Um, <laughs> you know, I'll tell you in 2020, the social security office of the inspector general received over 700,000 reports of social security imposter scam in 70% of the calls to the AARP fraud watch network helpline related to social security imposters. So this is extremely common then. Very, and you know, unfortunately, it's common because it's worked. Right. They wouldn't keep um, doing so these things if it didn't work. Unfortunately. That's right. So just remember, and it's a numbers game. I mean, they don't they don't care if you call and, and yell at them and and whatnot. For them, it's a matter of getting you off the phone if you're not going to take the bait and moving on to the next person. Hey, I want to jump back to something you said a moment ago because I should have asked about it and I neglected to do so. Why? Uh, why should you answer your phone and just not say anything as opposed to letting it go to voicemail? Is there a reason for that? You know, maybe it may come up as a deadline. Oh, okay. And at that point, that becomes a number that they're not going to sell to anyone from um, telemarketers to, you know, on purpose or otherwise to an imposter. Uh-huh. Now, I've heard of a... No- Go ahead. I was going to say sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, you know, I've, I've picked up and said nothing and then all of a sudden the UPS truck is driven by and my dogs have let folks know that that is a working line. <laughs> Well, and speaking of the UPS, that brings up another scam. Apparently, I'm a scam for a scam target for these folks. I'll tell you what, because I've gotten one, and this one is a text message. It's not a phone message. I've gotten a text message claiming that my package from UPS was uh, was either on the way or here, and you need to click on this link. Well, of course, I hadn't ordered anything, uh, but this is a pretty common scam too, from what I've heard. We're seeing a lot of that right now, um, and then usually they give you a link to to take you somewhere else and and it looks very good because it's not that tough to actually uh go through and and re-put together a website in fact we're one of the big scams that we're seeing right now has to do with rental property scams and and what uh what the scammers are doing is they're stealing photos of real properties off the internet Mm -hmm. and then advertising these rentals at, at a rock bottom price and so you start talking by email you find this terrific deal on a rental home um, you know, down in down south, where you know, uh, you know, you can get away for a little while, and uh, you know, the, the big piece that we we tell folks to avoid right there and then is the fact renters are asking, uh, they're being asked for payment right away, right. almost always through a gift card, and that's a dead giveaway right there. That's right. So if if anyone's asking you to pay for anything through a gift card, stop what you're doing, hang up. Well, and surprisingly, I've heard of scams supposedly involving law enforcement where you owe a fine and they're going to issue a warrant for your arrest if you don't send them a gift card right away. Now, common sense, in my opinion, would dictate that, you know, the Laramie County Sheriff's Office is not going to take payment on a gift card. But again, it apparently (laughs) must work. They keep doing it. Absolutely. Well, and, and, you know, so we did, AARP did did some polling in the last year. 
And, um, you know, the question being, if, if someone directs you to pay a debt or obligation with a gift card, is it a scam? And, and it seems like, you know, I, you know, off the top of your head, you'd say yes. But actually, one in four people sur- surveyed by AARP got the question wrong. That is surprising. And uh, we've seen a huge influx in gift cards being used as payments uh, by criminals, according to the FTC, since 2018. That's a big one uh, that we're seeing. Gift cards, they're super easy to find, uh, and they're virtually untraceable. And so as soon as you share that card number with the scammer, the money is gone. Now, another scam or another, I guess, mode of payment that these scammers will use, according to what I've been told by people in law enforcement, is go get a green dot debit card at Walmart and pay me with that. What's, what's, the, what's the advantage to, for them to do that? Once again, it's, it's that same piece of it. It's, it's the card numbers are real easy. It's, you know, these gift cards are put together so that you could share money quickly and easily. Right. And... Um, you know, in some ways, unfortunately, they kind of uh, they've made life a little bit easier for scammers as well. Now, first and foremost, if it's a gift card, it's a scam. Hang up. What are some other big red flags? Uh, you know, one, one thing we're seeing right now is uh, a scam where, where emails um, or phone calls will uh, impersonate a big box real retailer mm-hmm. and claim that you're owned a re- owed a refund and you have a phone number that you need to call or you need to click a link to get processed. What ends up happening in a lot of cases is um, you get to a scammer who will say, you know, hey, this is really great news. You know, I, I need to uh, remote access your device and, and get you paid. Right. So they'll convince you to sign into your bank account so they can show you the deposit on site. Um, and then they will actually take you to a fake page, which um, where they say, oh, shoot, you know what? I was supposed to give you $100. I gave you $10,000. So I need to get that money back. Right. And, uh, and and they'll do the thing, oh, my gosh, my boss is going to fire me if he finds out. So let's just keep this quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they'll, they'll take back the money. But the thing is, they never put the money in in the first place. They just were able to get thousands of dollars out of your uh, out of your um, bank account. So, you know, once again, um, if, you, if they're asking you to purchase a gift card, it's, it's a scam. Um, or, or know that, uh, you know, the big box realtors don't retailers don't work this way. And if uh, someone asks you to, to buy something to pay off an obligation, it's probably a scam. Now, something similar to that sort of, uh, hey, you just won the Irish sweepstakes. You've won $2 million, but we need some money for processing fees. That's a scam, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, we're seeing, you know, we've, we've seen that for, for quite some time. Um, you know, but, you know, something else to kind of consider is just the fact that, uh there are some ways that, that you can keep yourself safe from all this. And, okay. and you know, uh, a couple of things that, that we have told people in the past is, you know, three steps to keep yourself uh, protected from identity fraud. The, fir- fraud. the first is place a security freeze on your credit accounts with the three big agencies so no one can open a new line of credit in your name. Okay. Um, my, fam- my family's done this. It doesn't take very long. You do have to make sure you keep your, your username and password for it safe somewhere. But we have had, um, after we did that, we've had letters of um, people denying us new credit cards, people denying us Sprint phones. Um, we've, we've had a number of things where that credit freeze really saved us from people who, you know, through these data breaches can get your information, your personal information. And really with, you know, name, address, uh, social security number or driver's license number, 
in a lot of cases, that's about all someone really needs to open up a new line of credit. So we tell people, place a freeze on your credit. The second thing is establish online access to all your financial accounts. So your bank, your credit card, the people that you pay the most, and, and check them from time to time. Make sure that they're there. The third thing is we say use unique passwords for every online account. You know, consider purchasing a, a password manager that can create complex passwords. Because what we've found in a lot of cases is, you know, let's say that there's a, a big box store that has a data breach. Uh-huh. Um, they have all of a sudden usernames and passwords. So, so what, what scammers have kind of figured out is, is people use the same password and the same username at a lot of other accounts. So if they get, if they get my information through, uh, you know, through a big box realtor in town, then they'll start going to the more popular banks and credit unions in that, in that community. So they'll, they'll go to Blue and they'll try, you know, my username and my password that they pulled out of the big box. And if that doesn't work, they'll go to Wells Fargo and they'll try my username and my password that they got from the big box. So just go down one by one and until they can figure out where you're banking and, and how to remove that money. So that's why it becomes really important um, to use a complex password and, and a unique password for each of your, each of your accounts. Tom, I, I think you've probably heard of this, perhaps not, but recently the Wyoming Department of Health announced that something like 160,000 people um, accidentally had some of their personal information uploaded to a website. Now, it wasn't bank account numbers. Um, I think it was just names and addresses. Do those people need to be concerned? Um, I think if you are concerned, calling the Wyoming Department of Health is, is the way to go. I know that they did put out some information last week. On, um, you know, there had been a few people that had been um, attempted to be scammed out of out of that particular data breach. But uh, unfortunately, I don't have a, a ton of detail on that. And the Department of Health has offered up a, a, their phone number um, to help folks who have gotten into that place. Now, one thing I will remind people uh, at, at this point is is that you know the AARP has a fraud watch network. Okay. That's av- that's available. That's aarp.org and then backslash fraud watch network. Mm-hmm. And one of the, one of the thing one of the services that they have there is they have trained volunteers who if you feel like you have been scammed, you can call them and they will take you through next steps. They will talk about, okay, you think this happened, here's probably where you should go. In a lot of cases, unfortunately, they have to tell you, okay, the money's probably gone. But let's talk about how to keep you safe moving forward. The other thing that they tell us um, more often than not is uh, everyone, you know, looks at, at these, these scam alerts that we do and, and says, you know, what on earth, you know, how could someone, you know, get not see through that? But the fact of the matter is some folks don't. And because they feel taken advantage of or embarrassed, they just don't take any, any other steps past that. Um, but we'd encourage folks by all means, you know, if that happens to you, talk to somebody, reach out to local police, reach out to the Federal Trade Commission, which does a lot on scams, or call the, uh, the AARP Fraud Watch Network. And so the Fraud Watch Network, it's free to everyone. You don't have to be an AARP member. You don't have to be 50 and over. If you sign up, they're not selling you anything. All they're doing is they're sending you watchdog alerts of scams that are happening in your area. There's a Fraud Watch map that once again tells you kind of what scams are going on in your area. And then they'll send you emails just with sort of tips and tricks for avoiding the scammers and fraudsters. Well, and as far as being embarrassed, I would refer back to uh, the scam I, I, I spoke about a few minutes ago. This lady was good. I mean, some of these people are professionals, and 
they uh, they make their living this way, and, and we're not talking about amateurs in some cases. They can make themselves sound very convincing. Absolutely. You know, we almost, um, I was uh, on Facebook and saw an ad for a, a cheap Patagonia coat. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, shoot, I'd pay that. And I got on their website, and I got all the way, almost all the way through the process. I mean, I was, I was typing in numbers, the credit card, you know, ready to go. And then I thought, well, you know, that description didn't have a lot of, wording to it mm-hmm. awfully vague yeah and then did you start looking around look at the the you know the address that you've dialed into you know typed in patagonia.com to find out that the code actually cost about 300 dollars instead of you know 60 and i said oh, okay you guys were close you almost got me there mm-hmm. um so the little things the little things in that regard you know because it is so easy to copy an image anymore from the internet and then rebuild you know a, a pretty simple website so, you know, we just tell people to be as careful as they can. Tom, are people safe dealing on eBay? Can you get ripped off on eBay? You know what? I don't. Uh, that's that's out of my, that, that's certainly out of our realm of expertise. Okay. So I'll probably defer on that one a little bit. I did have a friend a couple of years ago who told me, and I, I got this secondhand, but claimed that he, he paid for a truck in Arizona on eBay and the scammers ran off with it. But I, I don't know anything more about that either, so I'll just leave that where it is. Oh boy. Um, go ahead. You know, Doug, one thing that has been a little bit topical lately is um, we're, find, we're seeing that uh, con artists are, are um, trying to take advantage of Americans who have received their COVID vaccines. Mm-hmm. They're sending out fake surveys about the experience. So the emails and texts look legitimate. Um, they even have logos of the vaccine manufacturers. But what they're trying to get to is your sensitive personal information. So they'll send you these surveys, and, and there's a couple ways to know that they're scams. First of all, if they offer a prize for participating. Mm-hmm. Um, second, the message says you need to reply right away. Remember, we keep talking about that when someone's trying to push you into a decision before you're ready, that's a red flag. Don't do so it. Once again, they want you to, to reply right away. And third, if you don't engage with the survey, you're asked, if you do engage with the survey, you're asked to provide a credit card or other payment information. And so those are kind of your three red flags. If it's a prize, if they're telling you you need to do something right away, and if they're looking for personal payment information or a credit card. And so once again, those three red flags are really, they happen across you know, a variety of, of different scams. I, w- I would mention a couple others that I've picked up from my interviews with law enforcement over the years. One is you're probably not going to win a contest you didn't enter. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Which, I mean, that sounds simple, but... I've, I've known of people who fell for it. The other one is, if they tell you you won a prize, but you need to, to fork out some money to win the prize, that's also generally a scam. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I, I think you absolutely nailed it there. Tom, I got another one a while back, and again, I, I, I got on somebody's list. Unfortunately, I haven't actually given anybody any money, but apparently somebody put me on their list. I got a, a text scam claiming that I owed a $6,000 medical bill and I had to pay right now. Well, I knew I didn't have a $6,000 medical bill. But again, that's another scam I've been hit with. Apparently, somebody's falling for it or they wouldn't use it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And once again, as you talked about, you know, as you talked about that, you got to pay that bill once again right now. So people are trying to move you into that emotional space and out of a place where you can kind of take the time and do it right. So um, good job to you on that one. <laughs> Uh, you know, one other scam that we've seen locally as well as nationally, and, and this happened, I'm a, you know, we, we go to St. Mark's Episcopalian Church, and, and we had received an email a few months ago on this one, too, 
Um, but there is a, a scam going around where criminals are impersonating clergy. Oh, really? Now, that's one I hadn't heard. Well, that's talk about messing with fire there. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the, the crook's supposed to email address of a, of a faith leader, a pastor, a reverend, what have you, uh -huh. sends a message to the congregant requesting a favor so that they're saying they're too busy and they're out of town. Could you purchase a dozen gift cards? And, and the, these are real clergy people. They're using real names, I take it. Right, right. Um, you know, and, and if you do that, though, they will make sure to, uh, you know, go ahead and, and reimburse you further down the road. Mm -hmm. And and now this also has been happening um, from from scammers who have been able to spoof the email addresses of bosses. Mm -hmm. And so we've seen employees receive the same email from supposedly their boss. And so, once again, the things that, that we sort of encourage people to do is ask if you've ever been asked to do a favor like this before. Ask yourself, would this person really ask me to do this? And then contact the person yourself and just get validation that they are who they say they are. And in, in other words, if you know, if my boss, Sam, sends me this email and says, hey, go buy a bunch of gift cards, would you? Just double check, call Sam directly, don't use the spoofed email, just, hey, you know, I, I get this email, it seems a little bit out of the realm for what we usually do. Just wanted to make sure this is what you wanted me to do. Do that. AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one. Geico presents Motorcycle Word of the Day. Today's word is gremlin. Is a gremlin an unknown and persistent mechanical issue? Or is it something large that gets caught in your teeth when you ride with your mouth open? As in... Man, I gotta stop singing 80s power ballads when I ride. Ugh, keep getting gremlins in my teeth. See? Geico Motorcycle. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Video station coming up on a bottom of the hour break, then a discussion of Medicaid expansion on the other side right here on AM6. Everyday Weather Forecast is brought to you by Bob Ruart Motors. Doing business without the hassle, all roads lead to BobRuartMotors.com. Active spring weather through the weekend and this upcoming week here around the Cheyenne region. Daily shower and thunderstorm activity in the afternoon, evening, and even some overnight storms. Some moderate to heavy rain and strong thunderstorm activity capable of small hail and gusty winds. A lot of activity, though, staying just garden variety. Weekend highs near 60, lows near 40. I'm meteorologist Mark Muir. Dear veterans, it was nice to spend the night with my daughter and other veterans. It's so humbling to attend an event when you feel appreciated. I had a wonderful time with my family. Thank you for the memories, Vet 6. Dear Vet 6, thank you for a great experience and for your support for military and veterans. Thank you so much, Vet 6. Our family has gone through a lot the last few years and just gave us a nice break. Every empty seat at a concert, scene, or special event is a missed opportunity to say thank you to a veteran or a service member. By giving your extra tickets to VetTix, you'll help America's heroes reduce stress, strengthen family bonds, and create a truly happy memory that will last a lifetime. So when you really want to say thank you for your service, give the experience, give the memory. VetTix, give something to those who gave. For more information on how you can make a difference, go to VetTix.org. Olivia, from Washington. <clears throat> laid off and trying to keep our little kids from realizing that mommy and daddy haven't eaten in a while. Roger, from California. I'm grateful we could afford our son's surgery. 
I'm nervous that now we can't really afford food. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Donna from Louisiana. The storm just hit, and we went from donating to the food bank to needing it. Keisha from South Carolina. I've been skipping meals so my two kids can eat, but filling up on water doesn't really work. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. On the phone, I believe I have uh, Josh Hannes from the Wyoming Hospital Association. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Now, we're talking about Medicaid expansion, and uh, as as you're well aware, I know a legislative committee this past week uh, did vote to bring back a legislative expansion bill. It failed in the last legislative session, uh, although it did pass the uh, State House for the first time ever, didn't get anywhere in the Senate. Your organization supports Medicaid expansion. Tell us why. Sure. So, I think... The first thing I'd, I'd like to discuss and point out is, is just a reminder of what group of people would be included in expansion. So okay. right now, Wyoming State Medicaid um, covers, a, it's a mean-tested program, but it also requires some categorical eligibility. So um, just being low income doesn't mean you qualify for Medicaid. You have to be a child, pregnant, um, elderly, disabled. Um, so, that, so that's the narrow population right now. but. If we expanded Medicaid, it would include um, any adult between 18 and 64 with incomes between 100% of the federal poverty level and 138%. So federal poverty, 100% of federal poverty right now is $12,000 and some change per year. The top limit of that 138% is around $17,700. So That's for a single um, person. That's for a single person. Right, correct. okay. So... So I think that's an important place to start. But, I mean, we support it uh, for a number of reasons. And, you know, one is providing coverage uh, to people in Wyoming who currently don't have coverage and allowing them to access health care in an appropriate place and at the appropriate time and being able to afford that care. Um, It helps hospitals decrease uncompensated care, so care that's provided by our hospitals for which there's no reimbursement. and it improves state budgets. Uh, currently, uh, the federal government is offering for states to expand Medicaid, that if you do that, you get an extra um, 5% bump on what's called your FMAP. So right now, the state of Wyoming splits the cost of Medicaid 50-50 with the federal government. In most years, it goes up a little bit. Um, for example, during the pandemic, we got a little bit of a bump there. Mm-hmm. But in any case, we get an additional 5% FMAP on our standard, on the, on the existing population, um, which would really net out after you paid for the state share of expanding Medicaid over the biennium, it'd be about $34 million net uh, to the state's bottom line, uh, which would certainly be welcome in these times, I imagine, of, of declining revenues. And, and really, we have the ability to look at the experience of the 30-some-odd states who have already expanded and and the evidence from their experiences is clear that it's a net benefit to, to patients and it's a net benefit to hospitals, uh, to state budgets, local economies, 
Um, and, and the most important part is it gives people an opportunity to seek health care, um, uh, obtain preventative care, um, and not wait until uh, a chronic condition uh, becomes so serious that they end up in the emergency room, which is an expensive place and it's an inappropriate place uh, for most care. Um, that could be handled in a primary care uh, provider's office. Okay, now I was under the impression, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I was under the impression that under the last bill, uh, the one that did get through the House but didn't make it through the Senate, the feds would have picked up 90% or something like that of the expansion cost. Am I incorrect in that? No, that is correct. So for the Medicaid program we have now, that's where I talk about the 50-50 match. If you expand, the federal government does cover 90% of that cost. And um, but as the uh, as it stands today, the the incentive offer from the federal government is that um, it'll still be ninety ten coverage in the expansion group, but they'll pay you an additional five percent match oh, I see. Um, on your existing. So that's where that that net benefit comes from, the net uh, dollar benefit. And I think the bill that was in the legislature did specify that ninety percent figure, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, that was something. Yeah. Go ahead. And that's a, no, and that's a that's a good uh, thing to point out because there's been some concern over the years, though it hasn't played out, that uh, the federal government will at some point ratchet down uh, their contribution to the expansion group, and and so what some of the bills drafted have done is saying, well, we'll we would expand, but if they remove or they lower uh, the federal match below ninety percent, we can get out and. Um, I, I, it's a you know it's a backstop against an action like that. Um, that that is um, it's done through what's called a state plan amendment. It's the way you change eligibility in different uh, criteria in your Medicaid program. It's done all the time for a number of reasons, and and would give us an opportunity that um, if the federal dollars weren't there, we could do something different. Okay, I'm speaking with uh, Josh Hannes from the Wyoming Hospital Association. I do need to go into a commercial break, and then when we come back, I'm going babble.com to try for free. That's b a b b e l dot com. Babble dot com. AM six fifty KGAB. You're in tune with the weekend in Wyoming program. On the phone, I have Josh Hannes from the uh, Wyoming Hospital Association, uh, explaining the uh, pro side of Medicaid expansion. We did have a guest scheduled at eleven oh five, and uh, for whatever reason, we didn't hear from him. So we'll see if we can reschedule that for a future date. We like to give both sides of the issue, of course. Um, Josh, now there are, there are some objections. I've been following this in the legislature for years. There are some pretty steady arguments that come up uh, pretty regularly on this whole subject. Um, and, and I know you're familiar with these. One of the arguments is, well, yeah, we're projecting 24000 but we could get way more than that, and it'll cost us a lot of money. What do you say to that? Yeah, so a number of states have had that experience where their, um, their estimates were short of actual enrollment. Um, so I think this is another example of where we can go back and learn from the experience of other states. Our, our Department of Health um, uh, was able to, to use the experience of other states and their modeling to come up with a range um, of people they expect to enroll uh, in the first couple of years. And so uh, 24,000 is their best guess. The range is quite large. I think it's somewhere between 17 and 30,000 is in their official report and 24,000 uh, being their best guess. Now there have been some instances like North Dakota, for example, um, uh, they uh, significantly overestimated their enrollment. Uh, but but you're right, a number of states have have underestimated. Um, 
I, I think, you know, I, I think our Department of Health has, has taken a, a conservative approach to try to make sure that their modeling is accurate. And um, I think we can trust it would be in the range that they um, that they've come up with. But I guess what I would also say is that at this point in time is that with the ability to draw down additional federal funds, um, if we're at that 24000 and based on utilization and other things, we're still netting tens of millions of dollars uh, to the state's bottom line. So um, that, that would be my response. Josh, a, a similar argument, and I know that you've heard these before in the legislature because we've had this debate now for about a decade in the Wyoming legislature, and pretty similar arguments arguments usually advanced every year, pro and con. Another, arguments, another argument, I should say, is that no matter what they say, we can't trust the feds, we're going to be on the hook for this, and we're going to have a whole lot of money. What's your response? I mean, I, I would say that argument's not really based in any fact. Um, Medicaid program has always paid its bills to the state of Wyoming. Um, the the expansion states um, since they started, I think 2014 was the first year, um, and those early states for the first three years got 100% of their expansion group covered, and that was ratcheted down over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been uh, they've continued to see the federal government CMS pay their their share of that. So. I don't know where that argument comes from. It, it doesn't exist in the evidence of um, the Medicaid program in general or the states that have expanded so far. But you have heard it, right? Certainly. Yeah, and the le- I've heard people say that in the legislature. Um, another argument is that the Medicaid program uh, was not designed for people who are able to work and support themselves. We shouldn't, we shouldn't expand it that way. How would you respond to that? Well, I, I go back to, um, again, being clear about who the amount of money that this group of people make. So if you're making, and at the top eight, the top range, 17000 and 700 some odd dollars, I, I looked up real quickly. So, in, for example, in Laramie County, it, you know, this is from 2018, but a one-bedroom apartment was about $633 a month. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can find one here for that, good luck, I'd say, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, so maybe it might even be more, right? That's a significant amount. So once you're paying rent, you're buying food, you're getting to and from work, which is another thing I'd point out is that a majority of the people um, that would qualify for this expansion group are working. Uh, Most of them are women. Um, And you take, um, you know, just the expenses of living on that amount of money, I think um, it's in the interest of all of us to to offer a hand up to folks and, and make sure that they can stay healthy and stay in the workforce. Um, and, and hopefully in, improve their financial situation. And this is a way to do it. It's an opportunity where we can help people. And um, and beyond that, it helps it helps local communities. It helps support hospitals. You know, the evidence, the real evidence from the other states that have expanded is that the hospitals that benefit most are the ones in rural communities, which is almost all of our hospitals. Um, so I, I think this is... Um, I think we need to remember that these are our neighbors and our coworkers um, and our friends, and uh, we have an opportunity to do something that that's incredibly helpful and meaningful. and And we just think this is an opportunity we should grab onto. I remember Governor Meade a few years ago, who did come out in favor of expansion, um, saying that he thought there was a misconception uh, that this program was going to support people who were staying home and watching TV all day, and he said that's not the case. We're talking about the working poor here. We're not talking about people asking for a free ride. 
Absolutely. I mean, that's it. That's exactly right. Okay, I'm speaking with uh, Josh Hannes from the Wyoming uh, Hospital Association about Medicaid expansion. Back with more right after these words. Okay, I'm speaking with uh, Josh Hannes with the Wyoming Hospital Association about the issue of Medicaid expansion. Again, we did have an opponent of expansion scheduled at 11.05. Uh, for whatever reason, that didn't happen, so we will try to reschedule that uh, here down the road because we do like to hear from both sides of the issue. Um, Josh, another argument I've heard on expansion, and, and this might have been more prevalent this year than in the past, was, okay, so we're only going to have to pick up, you know, five percent or whatever of expansion we're broke right now we can't afford that what would you say well again right now um the the way that it's paid for is through um the the additional five percent that we would be drawing down from the feds on our current medicaid program like i said that pays for over the course of a biennium it pays for the ten percent that we would owe on the match for the expansion group plus nets us $34 million. Um, so where, where does now, this argument come from? Because it is one I've heard repeatedly. Sure. I mean, and, and, in, and in years past, we would have been on the hook um, ah, okay. for 10%. Right? That's just not the case now. And we have an opportunity, and I think um, former Speaker Harshman and, and Chairman Harshman of the Revenue Committee um, is interested in, and I think other members of the legislature are interested in, if if we decide to expand, well, how could we negotiate with CMS or the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services? Could we negotiate with them a situation um, uh, that would continue to be beneficial for us uh, beyond those first eight quarters where they're offering the, the incentive payment? So you're hopeful that there's at least the possibility that we might not have to pay anything for this? For the first, for the first eight quarters, um, from when we decide to expand, we would not. And you're hopeful maybe we can negotiate something beyond that? Did I hear you correctly? Yeah, it's a, it's a conversation that I think the state should definitely have. Um, and I don't know what that would look like and how mechanically it would work. But um, if we've got these first two years um, where we would get it paid for, plus also be able to um, put some money in the bank and, and have conversations and maybe figure out a way to uh, keep it moving forward in a way that makes financial sense for Wyoming, I think that would be uh, the best way forward. Josh, let's talk about uncompensated care for Wyoming hospitals. Uh, this has been another topic of debate over the years about Medicaid expansion. Now, I've heard uh, from the pro side, and this is a couple years old, so it could have changed, but in past years, I've heard that Wyoming hospitals currently are basically having to fork out statewide something like a hundred million a year to pay for medical care uh, for people who who don't have coverage and can't pay for it and uh, we're, we're not heartless in this state we don't turn people away just because they don't have money so the hospitals have been on the hook for about a hundred mil a year is that number accurate it is um, you know anywhere between a hundred and 120 million a year and in, in uncompensated care across the state and and really what that means is, you know, most of our hospitals are hospital districts, county memorials, they're small rural facilities. They, you know, in good years have thin margins and in some years they lose money. And and so what that means if you're operating on thin margins is you're not investing in your facilities, you're not recruiting uh, physicians and other providers. Um, and it, it, you know, for example, if you have, um, you know, something happens to the physical plant, right? Your, your HVAC systems, um, 
you know, and you're on, you have hundreds of thousands of dollars in repairs. I mean, you, there's not money there to, to maintain physical plants and do the kinds of recruitment and invest in capabilities that we, that our communities want to have in their healthcare systems. Uh, so it's a significant burden. And like I said before, the, the evidence from, from other states shows the, the hospitals that benefit most are those rural facilities. Okay, I'm speaking with uh, Josh Hannes, Wyoming Hospital Association, about Medicaid expansion. By the way, if you have questions or comments, we do have an open phone line at 632-3323. Um, Josh, the, uh, the bill did uh, make it through the State House this past session for the first time ever, as I recall. Um, it didn't get through a committee, however, um, just this week. As you know, I believe it was the Revenue Committee uh, voted to, uh, I think it was 9 to 5, to bring this bill back. Now, I, I haven't gotten a, a clear definition on whether that will mean during a special session, if we have one, or next uh, next session next year. I have heard some talk that it would be during the special session. Do you know anything about that? So I'm not I'm not certain where it'll end up. I know the chairman of the revenue committee, Chairman's Case and Harshman, um, would like it in the special session, um, and we hope it gets an opportunity to be heard there. Um, if it goes into the the regular session, that is a budget session, so it would require a two thirds vote for introduction. Um, that that threshold doesn't exist in the special session. Um, so I, I don't know where it'll land, but we do hope it ends up in the special session and has an opportunity to be voted on. Whenever it does make it to the legislature, because it's going to come back again, regardless of whether it's uh, the special session next year or the year after that, this is not an issue that's going away. Do you think it might pass next time? You know, I, I hope so. I w- we were really encouraged by the vote in the House, and I think um, and I think a lot of legislators have, have admitted this when they talk about it, is that they weren't for a period of time, they, they were against expansion, and, and they've looked at the evidence, they've looked at what it could mean to the state, they've examined the new opportunity through this additional um, incentive payment uh, from the federal government, and they've determined it's, it's the right thing to do now, and, and we certainly agree with them. I mean, we believed it was the right thing to do all along, but I'm glad people are coming, coming along, legislators are coming along that way, and, um, and we'll keep working on it. There's a, there's a coalition in the state um, the, the Healthy Wyoming Coalition, which is made up of people from across the state from various backgrounds um, who are really, uh, you know, they're lobbying the issue, but they're also um, rallying up grassroots support. They're getting people in their communities to talk to their legislators about why it's important uh, for them and their friends and their neighbors. Now, one comment I did hear during the past session, and, and you wouldn't really call it a ringing endorsement, but it still added up to yes votes. I heard several lawmakers say, look, I'm not crazy about this, but nobody else has come up with a better idea. We need to do something, so I'm going to vote for it. Uh, do you find that to be a growing sentiment? I, I do, and, I, and I've heard it quite a bit more recently as well. And, and But I also think it's exactly right. There's been a lot of time, you know, if when the Affordable Care Act was passed and, and people didn't like certain parts of it, there was an opportunity to begin crafting different ideas, and none of those have, have bubbled to the surface. And so um, this issue is also urgent for people that are uninsured. Um, they People have health care needs. Those just don't go away, and, and, and some of them can't wait for a, a different plan. So, and I guess I would also say that this is a solid plan. This is a plan that makes sense for the healthcare system and for patients and for state budgets. And, um, I, I, again, I'll just say that we, we really think we should move forward with this.
Josh, I've asked you questions for the last 20-some minutes. Is there anything you'd like to bring up about this issue uh, that we haven't discussed or anything you'd like to especially emphasize on the topic of Medicaid expansion and why your organization supports it? Yeah, I I think the last thing I would say is, and this is probably repeating myself quite a bit, but um, we've had the ability now for many years to look at what has happened in other states. And unfortunately, there's been some arguments where um, in the in the Revenue Committee and others that have uh, tried to make the argument that it's been a bad deal uh, for the states that have expanded, and that's just not accurate. It doesn't exist um, anywhere in the, in the evidence. When you look at what has happened to states that have expanded Medicaid, it's a, it's a benefit to patients and to hospitals and to state economies, uh, like I've said before. Um, and, I, and I don't mean to just repeat myself over and over again, but it's so important to know that we have the benefit of, of what's happened in other places. Um, this is a, it's a good, solid policy. But I, I also wouldn't want people to believe that we advocate for this thinking this solves every issue in healthcare. Mm-hmm. It absolutely doesn't. Um, but healthcare is, a, is an incredibly large, incredibly complicated system. Um, and this is one thing that makes meaningful, important, positive change that, that we should move forward on while we continue to have discussions about other ways to continue improving the system for people. Okay, I'd like to thank my guest on this segment. I've been speaking with Josh Hannes with the Wyoming Hospital Association about Medicaid expansion. Uh, Josh, I do appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much for calling in. Yeah, thank you so much. Talk to you later. AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. Coming up the other side of the uh, top of the hour break, we'll speak with the director of the Wyoming Department of Workforce Services about uh, the effect of the pandemic on their services, what they have uh, coming up, uh, all things uh, job-related in Wyoming and for people looking for jobs and employers looking for employees and all that sort of thing. That's just ahead. We're just in front of 12 noon. We have a news and information break ahead at the top of the hour. You're in tune with uh, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station, AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne Orchard Valley. It's 12 noon, back with more on Weekend in Wyoming right after this news and information break just ahead. It's 12 noon. Okay, I'm speaking with uh, Robin Sessions, Cooley, Director of the Wyoming Department of Workforce Services. Uh, Robin, we appreciate you uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to call in. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. One thing I'd like to ask just off the top of my head, because I'm saying, and this is, we'll get into the meat of the interview here in just a moment, but just a general overview. I'm seeing tons of comments on Facebook that are basically saying things like, get to work, there's plenty of jobs out there, uh, you people are lazy, get to work, and that sort of thing. Are there plenty of jobs out there? What's our current status? I think there are a lot of jobs out there available. I think every one of us that drives down the streets of Wyoming sees um, help wanted uh, signs out there. So the jobs are there, uh, but there's a number of, of um factors that that play into whether people are unemployment or whether they're applying for and actually accepting these jobs and so I I don't think it's as easy as saying are people just on unemployment 
um, to uh, get the money and they don't want to go out there and work. I, I, th there might be a small number of people that are in that situation, but I think we also have individuals that have uh, immunocompromised people at home that they're worried about if they go back to work. For instance, you know, in a, in a high public traffic area where they might they might uh, bring that the COVID home to their individuals at home. We've got individuals that are still looking for uh, childcare uh, that they can, you know, t to take kids to if they do take other employment opportunities. So I think there's just a lot of factors that go into that kind of an analysis. So. Um, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you other than that, other than, yeah, it might be happening, but I think there's a lot of factors to consider in that dynamic. So it would be an oversimplification to say people can't fill jobs because everybody's lazy. I think that's very oversimplified. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I'm seeing comments like that, and it, it seems oversimplified to me, but a lot of people... Uh, a lot of people seem to be saying that. Sure. Well, why are employers having a hard time filling some of these jobs? Well, I, I think it's the factors that we just that we just talked about. I think people are still still fearful of COVID. Um, I think the, the child care has got to be, you know, that to me is an infrastructure issue. Um, if you can't find child care, um, and we know that a number of child care facilities closed down, we know that they themselves are having a hard time getting uh, employees in the door. Um, so I, I think it's a it's just a number of factors out there uh, that are that are taking place. But also, you know, we're just starting back up. Give us a little bit of time. Uh, give people a little bit of time to really look around, see what it is. Do we have people that want to maybe change careers? Absolutely. We've got folks that maybe are looking at their circumstances and maybe they want some some career upskilling or, or, or changing, you know, they want they want a new look. They want something new to do out there. So I think there's just any number of factors that go into that equation. Along with that, um, are the skills that will be in demand in the workplace post-COVID the same as they were pre-COVID or is that changing? <laughs> uh, that's a really good question. I think the workforce itself is changing and we've all been listening to the news and reading articles about that. We've got uh, people working from home. You know, we've got uh, with the department, we, we had a really interesting program that we instituted with the Business Council and the Office of Tourism um, around uh, why relocate. And we focused it on several uh, 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 large metropolitan areas around the country. And we, we really focused on the beauty of Wyoming. Come to Wyoming and relocate here if you're if you're working uh, remotely, why not come here where you can uh, take a bike ride in the beautiful Wyoming mountains or go fishing in our beautiful Wyoming streams or, uh, you know, all of the things that Wyoming has to offer. So we've had a, a number of inquiries relating to that. We have people moving into Wyoming that are remote workers. So we've got a whole change to the dynamic of, of working. And we're seeing that in, in our own agency. We've got people that are uh, working from home. It was a great success. It was a kind of a pilot program that we had to go through uh, to, just to see if it would work. We may not have had to do that otherwise. And it was it was successful in a lot of regards. So I think the, the nature of work is changing. We've got all the, the gig work out there, people that don't have to have a nine to five job. They can work and go to school or do other things as they need to if they they want to go um, deliver food for Grubhub, for instance, 
uh, in the evening. They can do that while going to school during uh, the day. So there's there's a, a change afoot in our in our work environment for sure. For sure. Okay, if if I'm hearing you correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think you're also saying that working from home is something we're going to see more of in the future, even post-COVID. Is that an accurate statement? I think that's very accurate, yes. I think, as I said, I, I kind of think of this as the great experiment that was kind of uh, pressed on us that may not have happened otherwise. And people took that, took that challenge, so to speak, and took the work home um, in our agency almost liter literally overnight. Uh, went home and started doing the work and it's been a success for the most part. But I, I, you know, some people don't want that. Some people want to come back into work. But I think that we've proven to ourselves to a large degree, not always, but we've proven to ourselves that we can do it. So I think there is a change, change toward that, uh, change toward that, that dynamic. Now, what's your department been doing for workers over the course of this pandemic? Oh, um, how much time do you have? <laughs> um, I, I, I want to tell you that when this, when the, when the pandemic hit, um, we ramped up. I think it was eight different unemployment insurance programs for the citizens of our state, and through those programs, we were able to get half a billion dollars out into our Wyoming communities. That's over five hundred million dollars that went not to uh, you know to unemployed people but that's money that's flowing into our wyoming communities which i think was just absolutely incredible when we actually looked at those figures um, we were all kind of shocked by that but also we were the only we've got 20 workforce centers around the state and we were the only workforce centers in the entire nation that stayed open and available to the public to walk-ins uh, Governor Gordon uh, made that clear, a clear priority of his when the pandemic hit. Because, you know, recognize that when the pandemic hit, the number of people that were applying for unemployment benefits had never done so in the past. And it's a, it's a, it's a difficult system to maneuver sometimes, especially if you're not familiar to it. So we had to have those, those uh, workforce centers open for people to walk in to get assistance um, but also we've got people that don't have internet access. So that was the only place that they were able to get that internet access to apply for those benefits. But just to give you an idea about the numbers of walk-ins, pre-pandemic, we had an average walk-in of about uh, a little over 9,000 people walking into our workforce centers around the state each month. As of May, 2020, we had 28, well, almost 29,000 walk-ins uh, in June, we had uh, almost 28,000 walk-ins. July, almost 28,000 walk-ins. So actually, between March of 20 and April of 21, we would, we would average about 20,000 people walking into our workforce centers. And it was mainly to not only get reemployment because you can do that uh, at our career centers, our workforce centers as, as well, but it was to apply for unemployment benefits and get some assistance in doing so. So I think those two things with unemployment and having those workforce centers alive, or, uh, open and uh, available to uh, walk-ins was critical uh, to get through this pandemic this past year. Speaking of walk-ins, do you have a mask requirement right now? Right now we ask for mask uh, uh, people to wear a mask, but we do not require it. Uh, 
uh, you know, the, the governor has, has uh, lessened those requirements uh, around the state and we did so as well. So no, we do not mandate them. We just ask for that because let me, let me put it this way. The last place that you want there to be an outbreak so that we have to close down is in one of our workforce centers where we're helping you either get reemployment or we're helping you get unemployment benefits, right? So um, that, that it's been pretty critical uh, across the state um, that those mandates were in place when they were. But yes, we've loosened them now. Now, you, you did actually at one point have a center or two closed down for a couple of days. Am I right or am I mistaken? No, you're correct there. We've had a couple around the state. The smaller centers we've had to close down at various times um, just because we don't had so few numbers. If we had somebody uh, uh, come down with COVID and we had the others that were potentially in quarantine just to, you know, to make sure that we weren't uh, impacting the public we did have to close down uh, some of those centers for a few days but in a lot of occasions what we were able to do was pull individuals from other centers bring them in so we could open those back up so I would say the longest we were maybe closed with a center was maybe three four days uh, before we could get someone else over there to get it opened up now, Robin, if somebody's looking for work, uh, we've kind of talked about filing for unemployment, but you do have some other help available as well. Is that right? Oh, we do. Our workforce centers really are career centers. Um, and again, 20 of them around the state. So you've got one in your area close to you that you can really tap into. And what we've been doing, those centers are funded through what's through federal funds called the Workforce Innovate, Innovation and Opportunity Act. And what we can do is provide funding for training for any kind of new career that you're looking for or for just upscaling within your current career. So for instance, if you want to go get a nursing degree or a commercial driver's license uh, training or accounting, medical degrees, whatever it is, we've got funding to assist you with, with that. And it is need-based funding, but as well, we can help you provide in some cases with some living expenses and other expenses, depending on the circumstances. But I also wanna point out that in those job centers, we can also help you draft your resume. We can help you with mock interviews. We can help you answer some of those very difficult interview questions. Um, so we'll focus on those soft skills that, that when you go into an interview are really gonna help you get that job. Um, but I also want to point out, um, during the pandemic, we had over 30 virtual job fairs that we set up around the state just to get people, just to have people recognize the jobs are out there and you don't have to put yourself at risk by going in to apply for those jobs. We can do it virtually. We even in our workforce center here in Cheyenne had a, a job, a drive-through job fair in our, um, in our uh, parking lot which was very successful for our company. So we've really adjusted to the needs of both our employers and our employees um, uh, during the pandemic. And, and uh, we've got vocational rehab experts that are in our workforce centers that can help you out uh, with jobs as well. So just a lot of, lot of opportunity in our workforce centers to help you get reemployed in Wyoming. Okay, in case you're just joining us, I'm speaking with Robin Cooley Sessions, Director of the Wyoming Department of Workforce Services. We're talking about all things job-related. Uh, Robin, it's been in the news here the last few days. Montana's ending its uh, federal unemployment assistance. I believe that's $300 a week, if I'm not mistaken. First of all, am I right in that? Secondly, is that something we should be doing? 
Uh, yes, one of the employee, uh, one of the programs that was instituted during the pandemic was called Federal, Federal Pandemic Unemployment Compensation Program. The FPUC program is what we call it. And initially, as you'll recall, that was an additional $600 per week if you were even making $1 of unemployment insurance benefits. Um, that was then reduced to $300 and that is the current payment for that. Uh, yeah, we've been we've been keeping our eye on it, and I think it's spreading. Uh, we listened to the news this morning, and there's another number of other states that are considering that as well. Um, we've been in discussions uh, even last week with Governor Gordon about that option. We're looking at that option. Um, we're trying to get him some data around that so that whatever decision he does make, it's made through uh, valid data that he can uh, consider. Um, as it relates to all citizens of Wyoming. So it's something under consideration, yes. Now, my understanding of the logic behind that is it's basically to encourage people to go back to work. Am I, am I getting that right or is there more to it? No, I think that's what it is. It's, it's you know, how we started out the interview. There's, there's job openings out there and everybody's seeing those job openings. You know, if you drive down a, a Wyoming Main Street, you're seeing job openings. And I think there is a a tendency to believe that that people are not applying because they're getting more in unemployment benefits than they would if they went back to work. And as we as we talked about earlier, there's a number of factors in that. But yes, that's one of the considerations is if you take away that that $300 that um, the, the that will, would incentivize people to then uh, return to work and return to their um, their employer. So again uh we're we're trying to get some good data for the governor to consider and uh when he makes that decision now we've talked about people who are out of work how about some of these businesses that are trying to fill their jobs do you have help for them we do have help for them um what we we have what's called a workforce development training fund program and um, there's some of the some of it is to help existing uh workers get training so for instance, you have maybe a CNA or a nurse and you want, they, you know, there's an additional training you can get them. We have a training fund that would allow you to get funds for that training. But we also have a, a couple of programs. We've got an, intern, or a, an internship program and apprenticeship program. So let's say for instance, you're a new uh, business in town and you need to, um, you need to try out a couple of workers, get them trained, see if you can get them interested in your new business, say it's an, an innovative business that you've started. Um, you can apply with us for an internship and, or for internship funds. And uh, then you, what you can do is go, it's a, it, whether it's a college student, a high school student or what have you, uh, get an intern into your business, uh, try them out. They can try you out, see if this is a, a, a business that they're interested in, and we can help you pay for those funds. Actually, we've got uh, $12,480 that we can help you to pay for their salary. Now, we, we do ask that the employer does themselves kick in some some of that salary, but it's a, it's a win-win for everyone involved. But also we've got the apprenticeship programs where if you want to develop an apprenticeship with us, um, you can, that's a, a, another program that we can assist you with uh, to pay for some of those apprenticeship costs. So we've got a lot of programs in this agency that can really help business 
to uh, not only improve their existing employees, but also to bring some new employees in and give them a try and let them give you a try. Okay, in case you're just joining us, you're listening to the Weekend in Wyoming program. I'm uh, airing a pre-recorded interview with Robin Cooley Sessions uh, from the Wyoming Department of Services, an interview we recorded on Tuesday, so you, you can't really call in with questions or comments, but I think it's a very informative interview. We've covered a lot of ground already. Uh, Robin, the uh, legislature did uh, pass some laws that may, might uh, have an impact on, on the workforce. Tell us about some of those. First of all, the short-time compensation. What is that? Thank you for that. I really wanted to make sure that I mentioned that because this is, this is such a fantastic uh, program for both employees and employers. Uh, it's a real win-win. What it does is it allows employers that recognize that business is slowing down, for instance, and they need to cut hours of employees, but they've got a fantastic set of employees that they don't want to lose. So what they can do is submit a plan with, with our agency that says for X number of employees, I'm going to reduce their hours this, this many hours. So those employees, then their hours are reduced. They can then go apply for unemployment benefits for the portion of the hours that, they, that, that, have, been, that have been reduced and get uh, a portion of unemployment benefits uh, for that time. And during this um, short time compensation plan, those employees would then also retain the benefits. So the employer then continues to pay their benefits, whether that's health care, that's retirement or what, or what have you. So what you're doing as an employer is you're maintaining this, this wonderful um, employee uh, pool that you've got that you know that you've trained them they're good employees you want to keep them but you're also able to reduce your hours so you're able to recognize that need to reduce your overhead costs there but for the employee you stay job attached so you're attached to them that employer and anytime they're ready to call you back they can call you back and you come into work but you're also making up a portion of what you're losing out through those hours uh, but with unemployment benefits. So it's a real win-win uh, for employers and employees. And we're, we're getting ready to get that program launched. Uh, it was just passed in, in uh, one of the special sessions. Uh, we've just hired an, an individual that's going to help uh, run that. And we're getting the rules and the program pieces in place. We're programming our uh, unemployment system for it. So. So we're really excited about the benefit that that can provide for Wyoming employers and employees. How about the student learner program? What is that? Okay, that's another really great uh, uh, program. What it is is uh, the Fair Labor Standards Act generally allows youth who are 16 and 17 years old to work in an occupation as long as the occupation hasn't been deemed, you know, particularly hazardous, hazardous or detrimental to youth. Um, there are exceptions to that general rule for some hazardous occupations when the youth participate in a qualified apprenticeship or student learner program. So that's what this program is, is it's a student learner program that allows us to get some high school students of 16, 17 years old into these programs that they're, they're watched carefully, um, but also um, they're, they're um, uh, uh, workers' compensation covers them and covers the employer. So uh, the, the actual agreement, agreement is between the school district and the employer 
but then workers' compensation is involved with the agreement in order to cover those individuals with workers' compensation. So it's a real win-win again for the students that want to get into some of these CT, these skilled labor type of employment opportunities, learn more about it in a safe environment. And I would guess that comprises a fair amount of our industries here in Wyoming, am I right? Oh, absolutely. Whether it's it's agriculture, it's manufacturing, it's, uh, uh, you know, I'm thinking welding opportunities, uh, mechanic opportunities. It's a lot of opportunity in Wyoming for this for this student learner program, for sure. Now, Robin, we're down to just a couple minutes left, but I did want to ask about the American Rescue Plan funding. Oh, excellent uh, opportunity for Wyoming all the way around. Uh, I am excited to be a member of the team that the governor has put together uh, to really look at the best path forward for Wyoming in utilizing these funds. And we're getting information from all different sources across the state on opportunities um, for programs. What the governor's doing is he wants to look short term you know, what are, what are the, the impacts and the problems you're seeing that are COVID-related, that are pandemic-related, that this money can help you with? But also longer term, since it's, it's one-time funding, longer term, term, how can we use these funds to really set Wyoming up for the future? So it's, a, it's really an exciting opportunity, and I think Wyoming is really going down a path that's going to help it u- utilize these funds to the best benefit and the most impact for Wyoming. So I'm looking forward to that plan. Robin, uh, that, that's all I have this morning. Is there anything you wanted to discuss or anything you wanted to emphasize? We've got a, a couple minutes left yet. Oh, I would just say that um, to, to the people around this state, please go take a look in your workforce center and take a look at some of the programs and the opportunities um, that are available in those workforce centers. If you're looking for a job, we have a program called Wyoming at Work in the Workforce Centers. Sit down at the computers there in the Workforce Centers. Take a look at some of those job openings. Um, I think that you will really be surprised at some of the opportunities that are taking place around Wyoming um, and some of the opportunities for assistance that you can find uh, in those in those Workforce Centers. And and I, I think I'd like to leave you with that because they're so so such a valuable part of our communities in Wyoming. Okay. I'd like to thank my guest on this segment of Weekend in Wyoming. I've been speaking with Wyoming Department of Workforce Services Director Robin Sessions Cooley. Thanks, Robin. Thank you so much. AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. You're in tune with the Weekend in Wyoming program. Coming up on a bottom of the hour news and information break. Uh, Looks like another rainy day, pretty much a rainy weekend in Wyoming. I uh, talked to Don Day, actually messaged him yesterday on Facebook and asked about the impact this precipitation will have on our drought. He said it's uh, it depends where you are. Here in southeast Wyoming, uh, we are getting enough precipitation at this point to perhaps mitigate the drought somewhat. That's not necessarily true uh, across Wyoming. He specifically, if I recall correctly, mentioned southwest Wyoming. 
Um, other parts of Wyoming are not getting the kind of precipitation uh, that will help end that drought. However, here in southeast Wyoming, we we maybe are, at least so far. So uh, that's the upside to this rainy, dreary weather. We, we get the precipitation that we need, and that's not bad news. I spoke to Don uh, earlier this year, and he said if we didn't have a wet May, we're probably stuck in a drought until 2022. So that's, that's the upside to the precipitation. Certainly not the best recreational weather, but um, hey, at least it's not snowing in July, so it could be worse. Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station, AM 650 KGAB. Cheyenne up on the bottom of the hour news and information break. You're in tune with the Weekend in Wyoming program on AM 650. You're listening to Cheyenne's news and talk station, AM 650 KGAB, Orchard Valley, Cheyenne. A town square media station. Speaking with Republican candidate for Wyoming's uh, lone U.S. Senate, uh, lone U.S. House seat, excuse me, uh, Marissa Joy Selvig. Good morning, Marissa. Good morning, Mr. Randall. How are you today? Doing pretty well. First of all, I'm not sure people uh, people in this part of the state know about you. Introduce yourself, if you would. Yes. Well, my name is Marissa Joy Selvig. I live over here in Riverton. Uh, I am a Christian, a wife, a mom, a small business owner, and I'm very excited to run for this office. Why are you running for Congress? Well, one of the reasons I'm running for Congress is to really help preserve the nation for our children and our grandchildren, um, as well as give the people of Wyoming a new option (laughs) of someone different to vote for, someone who um, will bring honesty, transparency, practical budgeting and uh, virtuous principles back into government. Have you ever held elective office before? Yes, sir, I have. I used to be the mayor of Pavilion. Oh, okay. Did you what, what did you learn from that experience that you could apply going forward, if anything? Well, a couple of things. One is working with, with, with people. Um, I am a firm believer in real communication. And so in a tiny little town like Pavilion, um, there's always somebody going to be complaining. <laughs> and that, you know, is the same in every level of government. And so it was really important for me to continue to listen um, and not just listen to get an answer, right? A, a lot of people prepare their answer instead of listening to what the person is actually saying because everybody has a story and it's important to know where people are coming from when they're coming to you with their with their problem or with their um with their concern about what is happening in government so that was great um to work with all kinds of different people in pavilion as well as our little tiny budget um we had a very small budget in pavilion and every penny and nickel and dime mattered in that budget because we had to we had to keep it and uh, as a budget hawk kind of a person, that is what I would like to bring to, uh, to D.C. is some practical budgeting. Because as you well know, the government spends trillions more than it takes in. <laughs> this morning, this morning, I looked it up this morning. The debt this morning was $28 trillion, $196 billion, $190 million, That's just unbelievably unbelievable and unacceptable. Now, I, I actually heard an interview with, uh, who was it? I think it was Senator Barrasso. It could have been someone else. Uh, but this was just recently where they commented that 25% of the national debt that we've accumulated since 1776 has been accumulated over the past 12 months. What do you think about that? 
I think it's terrible. <laughs> I think it's terrible. And I, I, I get very upset that our legislators do not, um, do, have not thought ahead and have not thought about what is all of this extra spending going to do to the future generations? And, you know, as a mom who has four children, um, I, I don't want the economy to crash for them. And I would like them to live in a country that is as good as the one that I grew up in. And so I think that we've got to get people in office, you know, hopefully me, uh, who have a backbone and are not afraid to make the hard decisions that it's going to take to fix the budget. Let me uh, let me compare you to the other candidates in the race so far and just uh, just uh, let us know how you would do things differently. First of all, the incumbent, Liz Cheney. If you were in office, mm -hmm. what would you do differently than Liz Cheney? Well, uh, I would put people above party, first of all. <laughs> I know that she is a she is a she has a high position in the Republican Party, which is great for her. Um, but I think that constituent communication is more important than than trying to just um, fight the Democrats. You know, there's more people in Wyoming than just Republicans. And although I am one, I think it's important to listen to everyone and to actually, you know, answer phone calls and have town halls with, with your constituents, um, which I haven't seen her do. I've never seen her in Riverton. Um, so uh, that's something that I would do differently than her. I want to communicate with the people of Wyoming on a regular basis. Uh, something else I would do differently than her is um, get our troops out of endless wars. I know that uh, she was one of the co-sponsors um, from the defense bill uh, in the last session to strip the ability of the president to get our troops out of Afghanistan. And um, I know that she has recently come out with some um, with a press release and an interview again about how uh, taking them out of, of there is uh, would be detrimental. And I disagree. How long are we going to shed the blood of our of our fellow citizens in, in a place that really you can't win that war? I mean, it's it's they're going to fight anyway. And do you know, I just have to say this, they are spending, let's see, why did I put this? They are spending $3 billion a year on the Afghanistan, uh, Afghanistan Security Forces Fund in the budget. And that, I, I quote, from last year's budget, is to be used to provide assistance with the concurrence of the Secretary of State to the Security Forces of Afghanistan, including the provision of equipment, supplies, services, training, facility, and infrastructure repair, renovation, construction, and funding of the Afghani Army. And so I would like our troops to get out of there. And I would be an advocate for that. So those are two things that I would do differently than her. Um, I also would not have voted to impeach because I just thought that was not such a great decision. But most of the things that I disagree with her on are the budget and the troops and putting party above people. Okay, how about uh, State Senator Anthony Bouchard from here in Laramie County? He's been out working hard. He's uh, already buying political advertising. How would you do things differently than him if you were elected? Well, uh, I have—I I don't know too much about uh, Senator Bouchard as of yet. I, I watch his uh, political advertisements. I have seen some of his town halls that he's given, and I got to give him credit. He's doing a really great job, and he really focuses well on the Second Amendment, which is an important issue. Um, but I care deeply about a lot of different issues. Um, for example, I have signed a pledge um, for. Uh, term limits that I will co-sponsor the term limit amendment that Senator Cruz 
um, uh, puts out every year uh, to do that in the Congress. Um, I also am a big advocate for the fair tax. Uh, I would love to see that kind of tax reform in um, proposed and passed in the legislature. They have they have uh, put it forth again. It's HR 25, and uh, I would be I have I have pledged to co-sponsor that with the fair tax group here, um, and they're going to be doing an article about that soon. Um, but he is very conservative, as am I. But I. I believe that my the way I approach things is a little different than him. He's very he seems like an, an abrasive kind of a person, and that's not my personality. I'm not I'm not so abrasive. How about Representative Chuck Gray, who's also in the race? How would you do things differently? You know that is another Chuck Gray is a newer candidate, uh, and he is one that I have not done as much research on. I know that he's very conservative, and he has. Uh, put forth a number of pro-life bills in the Wyoming legislature this year with, you know, kudos to him. That's really great. I am very pro-life and I'm so thrilled that they passed some of those in Cheyenne this session. Um, and that he got the voter ID law passed here in Wyoming, which is great. I appreciate that. Uh, so I, because I haven't heard very much about how he would do things in Washington, I don't know how I would do uh, things differently than him. But once again, I would say that you know, I'm not afraid to make the hard decisions when it comes to the budget, when it comes to communication with constituents, um, when it comes to communication across the aisle with Democrats, because I think that gridlock is something that we deal with a lot uh, in our federal government right now. And as much as people don't want to talk to the other side of the aisle, it's gonna be so important that we do that because we've gotta move the country forward uh, for the benefit of the American people. And so there has to be real debate and real legislation that happens. And that can't happen if all we're doing is fighting and not having real conversations about the issue. Okay, in so, case, go, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead, I'm go sorry, ahead. go ahead. I was just telling our listeners that I'm speaking with Wyoming Republican congressional candidate uh, Marissa Joy Selvig. We're talking about her uh, candidacy for the 2022 uh, Wyoming congressional seat. Folks are really getting started early in this race. That seems unusual. Why did you jump in so early? Well, I jumped in early so I could take my time. I had originally thought about running a couple of years ago um, and just had, had thought that I would wait. But I just felt something shift uh, in July of this past year. And so I started thinking about it in July of 2020. And I was going to run anyway, <laughs> uh, even before Representative Cheney made the vote that made a lot of people upset about impeachment. Um, I had planned on running anyway. Uh, so the reason I uh, put my candidacy in early is so I wouldn't have to rush and that I could have time to meet people and talk to people and go around the state um, without uh, feeling stressed out, because I am a mom. <laughs> now, as I'm sure you know, former President Trump has uh, said that he'll be uh, endorsing somebody soon in this congressional race. We don't know who yet. Um, I know that Anthony Bouchard certainly has been uh, very avid in, in hoping for that endorsement. I would assume Chuck Gray also. Um, are you hoping for the endorsement? And if you don't get it, would that affect your campaign? You know, I I won't say whether I would look for that endorsement or not. Um, I think President Trump was an excellent president. Um, if he chose to endorse me, that would be great. If not, 
um, it would not deter the fact that I am that I am running for this office because I have a lot to offer the state of Wyoming. And um, I think that I'm the right candidate, whether Trump think, would think so or not. Uh, I often get ignored by some of the media because I'm not out there actively fundraising, um, asking for money from people, because I believe in asking for people's voice first. I, I, I am a grassroots kind of a candidate, and I think that word of mouth works. And I would like to try and prove that you can win an election without the most amount of money, kind of, just to kind of stick it to the big dogs. Because everybody has said, well, you're wasting your time if you're not raising a million dollars. And I say, you know what? Elections should not be run uh, and won on who raises the most money, but who would be the best representative for the people. So how do you visualize your campaign? Do you plan to drive around the state and talk to people in person or a lot of social media activity? Or have you have you thought about that yet? Or how do you, how do you visualize your campaign? Well, I have been campaigning since the 20th. Um, I have a YouTube channel that I started early uh, in January. And so I make posts on a weekly basis uh, about patriotism and practicality. Uh, that's called the Practical Patriot over there on YouTube. And uh, I have been putting out some Facebook ads. I have, uh, as well, um, I have been going around to a number of different places, at least here in my county to start out with, uh, talking to people face to face, because that's what I like. I like to meet people and have a real conversation with them. So that's my plan is to drive all around the state. Um, I will probably be going to a couple uh, the county fairs. I'll be in Cheyenne on Saturday. Um, uh, for the um, the Scott Pressler event that's being held by uh, the conservative corner down there. Um, so I'm excited to talk to people then and uh, I will be going to the Lincoln, uh, attending the Lincoln Day dinner um, here in Riverton and also the one in Warland and Ten Sleep in July. Um, they've asked me to come and introduce myself there. Um, and so that's the plan. I really want to have conversations with people because I think that's where politics ought to be. It ought to be constituent to constituent representative communication. Now, circling back around to what you said was one of your uh, primary issues, the budget and the budget deficit. Mm -hmm. how, can, how can we get caught up on this thing? We're so far in the hole. Um, can we cut our way out of it? Are we going to need new taxes? What, what, what's your vision for that? Well, my vision for that is kind of twofold. <laughs> One is cutting because there's so much spending that is ridiculous. I'm a big um, advocate for kicking K-12 back to the, back to the states. Uh, that would save us a bunch of money because there's $30 billion uh, that goes to the Department of Education every year. Um, in this last budget session, that's what they, that's what they allocated. Uh, in, it's HR 133, if anybody wants to go look that up, <laughs> from the last, set, last Congress, 116th Congress. But just things like that. And I mentioned in, I mentioned in an interview I had a while ago um, that we spend millions of dollars on saving elephants and saving gorillas and uh, the saving marine turtles, like $18 million total for all of these animal conservation acts that we do. Well, you know, I think that there's cuts we can make in certain areas. Um, and one of those big cuts that we could make uh, is goes along to how we fund the government. Uh, like I said before, I'm a big advocate of the fair tax. Um, and the fair tax 
Have you ever heard of the fair tax? I have to confess. <laughs> I didn't want to admit it, but I don't know what that is. <laughs> well, good. I, I probably well, should. I, so I probably glad. should, but go I'm ahead. I'm so glad I can tell you that. <laughs> so the fair tax is, uh, is a system that would, re would abolish the IRS. Hooray, right? Who, who likes the IRS? Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody likes the IRS. And um, the IRS, okay, just as an example of how much money we spend just for the IRS a year in the budget is 11 billion dollars 11 billion dollars just on the irs so i mean think about that cut that out of the budget um, but if you pass the the fair tax which is hr 25 currently um what it does is it gets rid of all income taxes capital gains taxes self-employment taxes um payroll taxes it gets rid of all those so everybody gets to keep their whole paycheck and what happens is that then there is a um, there's a 23 percent. It sounds a lot, but it really it it works out. Um, a 23 percent retail sales tax. It's not a value added. It's just at the retail sales uh, checkout, basically. And um, they say 23. Uh, they have there, it's been well researched that 23 is what it is because most of most Americans fall into that 15 percent tax bracket. Mm -hmm. And then we all pay 7% on our payroll taxes. So that's about 23. Um, and so we, as well, we all know that, gov that businesses just pass their tax on to us, the consumer, right? Okay. They do, yeah. And so the beauty of the fair tax is that we get to keep our money. And then uh, it cut, one of the things that they like to talk about in the fair tax organization is that it, it, it taxes all of that hidden money that uh, is not being taxed by people who are working under the table, by uh, corporations who are moving their assets overseas and getting around all the tax uh, loopholes and all that kind of stuff. It just gets rid of all that so that businesses uh, can, <clears throat> sorry, expand, they can, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, they can expand, they can hire more people, um, and then some people who are against the fair tax say, well, how is that going to affect the poor? Because 23% on retail sales is a lot when you go to the grocery store and it's taxed at 23%. Right. Well, there's something in the fair tax called a prebate. And so what a prebate is, some people don't like this idea, but what it is, it is, and they take the poverty level calculation of what your expenditures would be which in, would include food, clothing, shelter, transportation, medical care, and so on, right? Right. And so they, they calculate that according to um, the poverty level, and then they give you a monthly prebate based on what that would be. So it's kind of like your tax, it would be your tax deduction kind of a thing, but it's not a tax deduction. So for example, a two adult, two child household would uh, their annual prebate would be like $7,700 a year. So that would be approximately $648 per month. Right. And so that would that $648 would cover the taxes for someone who lived at the poverty level. It would cover the taxes that they would pay. Now they would still obviously be paying for, um, paying for their necessities, but it, they wouldn't be paying for the taxes on it. So that's part of where it comes to the fairness. Everybody keeps their money, the prebate, uh, everybody gets a prebate, 
And then for those who spend more, this is where you get to control how much you pay in taxes by how much you spend on new products. Like if you want to buy a used car, uh, you wouldn't pay that 23% tax on a used car because that tax was already paid the first time on that car when it was new. Um, or if you're if you're buying a, or building a new house, right? Okay, so that way people who make more money, as we know, spend more money. And so it is kind of a progressive tax where the more you spend, the more you pay instead of taxing your income. AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne Orchard Valley, 1 o'clock. Join us again next week for the Weekend in Wyoming program from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. right here on Cheyenne's number one news talk radio. A Town Square Media of Southeast Wyoming podcast. Find more of our shows at kgab.com backslash podcasts.